Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is Reverend Rosemary with you this evening. Thanking God again for this wonderful opportunity that we have to sit at the table of his word. We are going to open our prayer, our study with a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you, O oh Lord, for gathering us together to look into the mirror of your word. We pray, Father, that by your spirit, you will open our eyes, O oh God, our spiritual eyes, that we may see and understand wonderful things in your word and how all these things apply to our life. Holy Spirit, we thank you for downloading your light and power in us so we can walk in your anointing and experience transformation, healing, deliverance, and wholeness. And we'll be careful, O oh Lord, to give you all the glory and honor and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, we are studying today about God's anointing released to reconcile the lost to himself and make them one with him in nature, in character, and in desire. Our study today is the first of what I believe is a two-part teaching entitled Anointed for Such a Time. And uh, the focus of our study will be the power of the anointing. Praise God. So, uh, you know, the Lord asks us to be in one accord with him in order to be able to flow in that anointing that he has released. And actually in the book of Amos chapter three and verse three, he asks the question of whether two people can walk together unless they are in one accord. This is very significant for walking in the spirit, which requires the total subjection of our will to his will. And that is on an everyday basis continually, amen. And unless we are of the same mind as he is, we cannot walk together. Uh, you see, the Bible tells us that God does not change. Um, Malachi chapter three and verse six tells us that. And, um, you know, therefore the very will that uh, he had for mankind when he created Adam and Eve is the very same that he has for you and for me today. And what is this will, the will of God? Well, we find it in the very first chapter of uh, the Bible uh, the Genesis chapter one and verse 26. And God said, let us make men in our image and after our likeness. You see, this is the whole story of man and God. This is what God intended for us back in the garden of Eden. This is what he purposes for us now. And this is what his objective will be forever for mankind. And what is that objective? 
It is that we should bear his image and likeness. Well, we all know that Adam and Eve were made therefore in the image and likeness of God. So there are two things here that we are looking at, image and likeness. The image is a reference to what you would say maybe is an appearance. This means that uh, the form of God is like the form of man. Uh, what do we mean by that? Because that sounds a bit strange. Well, let's look at what Ezekiel tells us. In Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 26, we read this. He says, And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. Amen. So you see there it was the appearance of a man above this throne and upon it. So in a sense, we are told that God has a form like or an appearance like a man. And this is the image aspect which really mankind never lost, even after the fall, amen, after the fall of man. But when it comes to likeness, because we're talking about both image and likeness. So when we speak about likeness, this is the part uh, of you know, what, what God had planned for humanity, where we encounter a problem. The likeness refers to the character of God. Mankind was endowed with the character of God. And after God created man, his view of creation was that it was very good. Actually, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31 tells us that that God himself saw everything that he had made. And it says, and behold, it was very good. So it was after the creation of man that God made that statement that it was very good. Prior to the creation of man, after he had created everything else, Ex but except for men, God had looked at his creation and said, it is good. But after the creation of men, he looked at everything he had created. He says, and behold, it was very good. And this is because when he looked at what he had created, God saw his image. Amen. But with Adam and Eve's disobedience, this image of God was lost. And Adam, who was made in God's image and likeness, could no longer bear children except in his own new fallen image. And that is the whole problem of humanity, that we are all born with a corrupt image. 
And this is what Jesus Christ came to rectify. This is what the Holy Spirit does to restore man to the image of God. Romans 8 and verse 29 says that God predestinated us. The us speaks about born again believers to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Hallelujah. So a born again person is delivered out of sin. Not so that he can live for himself, but that he might come into what we call Christ likeness. In other words, bear the image of Christ. And so the father's goal in deliverance is much more than simply seeing in his children relieved of their burdens or delivered from the attacks of the enemy. You see, God, he directs the working of all things in our lives so that we can be conformed to the image of his son. And again, as we just saw from Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, the father's purpose is in our salvation is that Jesus would become the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, the way for us to realize God's ultimate victory is to reach toward his ultimate goal, which is our complete transformation into the likeness of Christ that is both in his in character and in power. Praise God. And you know, these two character and power, they work together. It's important that we desire the mighty, mighty manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but it should never be at the expense of the character of God. Amen. Um, Hebrews chapter one, verses eight and nine um, explains about Jesus. And it says this, but unto the son, he, that is the father, said, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Here we see two sides to the Lord's reign. Amen. He speaks about his throne. So God is reigning. The Lord is reigning from his throne. And we see two aspects here of his uh, reign. Number one, that there is a love of righteousness. And second, that there is hatred of iniquity. And, you know, we see this in Jesus's walk, his amazing walk of godliness and purity. 
you know, the lust of this world did not govern him. He ruled over unnatural and ungodly desires. And in the, 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 in, in the word, uh, the book of John, Jesus himself says this. I, I believe it's verse 21, John 14, 21. Jesus says that uh, to his disciples. He says, he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Hallelujah. So he first, before he said that, he says, he who has my commandment and he who keeps, keeps them, are, these are the ones that love me. Amen. And then he says, he that loveth me then shall be loved on my, of my father. He says, I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Here, the, the apostle Paul, who is writing uh, the, the, the epistle of second Corinthians chapter, and we're looking at chapter seven, goes, goes ahead and informs us of the acceptable way to serve God. In other words, he is adding on to what Jesus says in John 14, 21. And so in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, he writes, having therefore these promises dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Amen. Notice that, you know, it's interesting that, you know, he, the apostle Paul does not tell us that God is going to purify us. Amen. Rather, we are told, purify yourselves. What this means is the work He's speaking about the work of redemption as compared to sanctification. You see, in the work of redemption, the blood of Jesus cleanses all our sin away. That's redemption benefit. Hallelujah. However, in speaking of our sanctification, we are speaking here, the apostle is actually speaking here about leaving out what was already freely done for us. Amen. So in our redemption, it's the blood of Jesus cleansing our sins. In our sanctification, it's our living it out day after day. Amen. Walking with the Lord allowing him to lead us, to guide us, letting the Holy Spirit have his way in us. And therefore, if our objective uh, is to be like Jesus, we should hate sin, but love the sinner. Amen. You know, God sent the Holy Spirit 
to help us to walk in righteousness and to hate sin more. Because the moment we give our life to Christ, the, the moment we are redeemed, amen, then the, that our sin has been removed from us. We, our nature has changed. All, all things have passed away and behold, everything has become new. And this new person does not like sin. Amen. And that is our spirit, man, does not like sin. Our mind must be retrained to be transformed, to catch up with our spirit. Hallelujah. And the Lord gives us his Holy Spirit to help us. Uh, Jesus, or should God, uh, send a comforter to help us walk in this righteousness and to hate sin more. Jesus instructs his disciples in John chapter 15 and verse 26. And he says this, he says, when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceeds from the father, he shall testify um, of me. So this really means that the Holy Spirit will reveal Jesus to us. Testifying of me means that he, he will reveal Jesus to us. Hallelujah. And notice John 16 and verse 8 tells us, this is again Jesus speaking, and he says, and when he, that is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is to come. He says, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Amen. This again refers to the work of the Holy Spirit to reprove, to point out a fault or an error or to expose something as it really is. Hallelujah. So, this is what Jesus meant um, in John 16, 13, when he said that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. Hallelujah. He will expose the truth. He will expose the lie, the lie of the enemy, so that we, can, we are able to distinguish truth from lies. Amen. And if there is any sin in our life, then we will be compelled to straighten our life up and live for Jesus. Uh, it is actually, you know, the same Holy Spirit that was a person to accept Jesus. Praise God that continues this work in us. He will come inside of us. He will be a comfort to us and he will teach us all truth after we have accepted Jesus and have invited him in. Praise God. So to put it simply, how we are expected to live and conduct ourselves as believers is crucial. Actually, it's essential. Praise God. So that is why 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 that we just read the Apostle Paul speaks of the outward transformation, amen, that should take place, resulting from our redemption. And 
notice that he said that we are to clean ourselves from all unrighteousness. Amen. Notice the word all. We are not to purify ourselves from some things or even most things that, you know, uh, make either the body or the soul unclean, but from all things, from everything. We are expect, uh, expected to purify ourselves so that we are completely holy. And we find in um, the first book of Peter, an affirmation of this. In first Peter uh, chapter one, verse 15, Peter writes, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. What is he speak, saying here? Well, all matter of conversations speaks of all that we do. Amen. And indeed, if we take these words seriously and we don't water them down, uh, as some people do, um, and actually some people not only just do and they, but they actually teach this thing, they water the word down. But you see, if we don't do that and we take these words seriously, then the you know, the acceptable way to serve God is to walk in the same manner of godliness that Jesus did. And how are we supposed to do that? And this is how, you know, we are, we are able to do it. It is through the grace of God. It is through the anointing that resides in us. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us that we have an anointing in us. And the anointing teaches us in 1 John chapter 2, hallelujah, verse 20. It teaches us, praise God, all things. So if indeed we are born again, we have the grace of God in us through the Holy Spirit, who the Bible calls the spirit of grace, who is indwelling us, praise God, then we are well able to live that type of life, to walk in the same manner of godliness as Jesus did. Praise God. We are looking tonight again at the subject of the anointing and what the difference that the anointing makes in us, in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, instructs us to follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no one shall see the Lord. Well, holiness is definitely not a work of the flesh. It is a product of God's grace. And how would we define grace? Well, grace is God's empowering presence in our lives, which gives us the ability to do what otherwise we could not accomplish in our own ability. Amen. And therefore, making us able to cleanse ourselves from everything that makes us either unclean so that we can be completely holy. And this is the acceptable way to serve God. 
And this is why uh, in that same chapter of Hebrews, the, uh, you know, we find in verse 28, Hebrews 12, 28, it goes on to say, let us have grace to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Amen. It is the grace of God that allows us, that enables us to do this. You see, many Christians try to work out, if not most, work out their holiness through their own works because they have not uh, discovered what grace has provided for them. They don't know the potential that they possess. But this is not at all what the gospel proclaims in, you know, in the New Testament. The good news is that Jesus not only paid the price to free us from the penalty of sin, but he equally paid the price to free us from the power of sin. Amen. And this is clear in, in Paul's words. If we read uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, that tells us that sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, he says you are no, not under the law. Why? Does he say that? Because the law could only restrain people, amen, but not remove those sinful urges, impulses, desires, etc. But then he says, you are under grace. Grace or the anointing of God, on the other hand, is this empowerment that God deposits in us, that frees us from what we couldn't free ourselves from in our own ability. We could not free ourselves of sin. Amen. You know, the, the, the following passages uh, that we are going to read uh, reveal the difference that the, the grace of God, the anointing of God makes in our lives. Uh, I, I would like to start with Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27, amen. And it says, and it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing, amen. So what happens here? He says, the burden is taken away and the yoke is broken from your neck. Amen. It is destroyed because of the anointing. So the anointing comes in a person's life. Amen. And brings increase. And as we grow bigger and bigger in God, we expand and we expand in him, in his power, in his nature, in his ability. And what happens because of that, the yoke that the enemy had placed in our life has to break. It breaks apart. Amen. And the anointing sets us free. And as we allow the voice of God to grow in us, amen, then the yokes 
all the yokes that the enemy has you know, brought in against in our lives will break. And God grows inside of us. How? Through his word. Amen. So when we, I say that we must allow the voice of God to grow in us, I'm speaking that about the word of God, our, about our becoming established. Amen. In the word. Praise God. In, in understanding the word and in walking in the light of the word of God. So Colossians chapter three and verse 16 tells us to let the word dwell in us richly. Praise God. Notice, not just dwell, but dwell richly. Praise God. And the more of the word we have, the more we submit to the leading of the spirit of the word, Jesus says, the word that I speak to you is spirit and it is life. The more we submit to the word and to the spirit of the word, the more we grow, amen, in this anointing that removes the burden and that breaks the yoke. Praise God. The next uh, scripture that I would like to look at is 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 6. 1 Samuel 10, 6 reads, and the spirit of the Lord will come upon thee. This is um, Samuel speaking to Saul, who's about to become uh, the first king of Israel. Amen. And, and so he says, and the spirit of the Lord will come, come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. I want you to notice those two words, another man. Saul was changed such by, by the anointing when this anointing came upon him after that the spirit of the Lord came upon him, that he turned into another person. Praise God. Then we read, uh, well, first of all, let me say that what happens to him as a sign of that change, he began to prophesy. Praise God. And we read now that um, about the anointing, what it can do. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 21, 2 Kings 13, 21, it says, and it happened that as a man was being buried, amen, on an, I'm reading from the amplified version that says, on an open beer, they saw a marauding band coming and they threw the man into Elisha's grave. But when the body of the man that was, was being let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Amen. So pretty much this is an account of a man who had passed and died and he was uh, on his way. I mean, they were taking him to his burial place. And the, the, those people bringing him there, uh, you know, ran into a group of bandits. Uh, and they ran off. And by the first threw the, 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 the coffin into, uh, you know, someplace nearby, and it just happened to have been Elijah's grave. And when the body of the man 
touch the bones of Elisha, who was already dead because he's there buried because this is, you know, it's his grave that they are talking about here. But yet there was still such an anointing in that place that the body touched the grave and the man, just like Lazarus, was quickened back to life. Amen. So we see here that the anointing was able to raise a person from the dead. The anointing is so vital in our lives to be who God created us to be and to do what he's called us to do, that we know that Jesus himself needed to be anointed by the Holy Spirit in order to carry on the ministry that he came to accomplish. John chapter three and verse 34 tells us that Jesus did not receive, God did not give him the spirit by measure. In other words, Jesus received the fullness of the spirit. The spirit, this this explains um, what the book of Acts tells us in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, which says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Amen. So notice that in speaking about what Jesus did, first, the Bible tells us how he was able to do it. It was because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in his life. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. Praise God. So it is clear from the gospels that Jesus met the needs of mankind. We saw him heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, uh, delivered, he delivered people from bondage. He opened blind eyes, um, the mute spoke and the crippled walk. Those who were hungry were fed. He multiplied food to feed them. And he even raised the dead. Amen. So this is what the anointing upon his life accomplished. And in there, we see Father, we see the Son, we see the Holy Spirit united as one for the purpose of ending the suffering of humanity and making men whole. Praise God. So when we, born again Christians, amen, children of God, we come to him, our expectation must be that we have come to be blessed. We have come to be whole, amen. We have come to come closer to to bearing this image that is the image of Christ for which we were created. And that expectation of good attracts the blessing to us. Praise God. And God's plan for us is such that it is even greater than we can even understand with our natural mind. Praise God. That we see the goodness of God extended to a point where Jesus did not stop in 
uh, you know, with the miracles that he, he did, but he uh, gave us a charge, amen, to show us just how we are loved by him and how much like him we have become. You know, in John chapter 14 and uh, verse 12, this is what he tells his disciples. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my father. Amen. Hallelujah. So we see here that he is letting his disciples know that what you have seen me do, I have given you the ability to do it. Why? Because I'm going to my father and the Holy Spirit, which I'm sending to be inside of you will empower you to do these things. And then he goes on to say, before he goes on to heaven, in John chapter 20 and verse 21, he says, as the father has sent me, I also send you. Praise God. Hallelujah. So over and over again, we see our father's desire and instruction that he expects us to walk as Jesus did. Amen. Um, the first epistle of John chapter two and verse six couldn't be more clear than this. He tells us, he that saith that he abideth in him that is in Christ ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Amen. Not, notice that he said, he that said that, sorry, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also. So to walk even as he walked. In other words, this is not a suggestion. You ought to. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And John goes on to explain in 1 John 4, 17, he says, as he is, the he is Jesus here, he says, so are we in this world. You know, the, the, the Bible um, records um, the events there of uh, the history of the early church. And we find written in Acts 4.33 that it says, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the res resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Hallelujah. I mean, this is a loaded uh, passage, but I, I'm going to look at just one aspect of it. Amen. The aspect of grace. Notice that it says here that the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because of the works that were being done by them. They had taken Jesus at his word and gone out and did exactly what he said. Amen. They were being witnesses of the Lord Jesus, of his resurrection power, of the anointing residing in them. And therefore, 
the, it goes on to say, and great grace was upon them all so that we can know that great power is associated with great grace. And great grace is also speaking of God's power or the anointing. Amen. And, you know, we often think to ourselves that these biblical characters that we read about who were used by God to do great things, that they were special people uh, with special characteristics um, and, you know, which made them somewhat uh, superhuman. But this couldn't be further from the truth. Amen. Um, and we are going to observe this from uh, our glance into the life of uh, what we could call a regular, amen, a regular person. And that person is um, found in, actually in the book of Acts, chapter six, and his name is Stephen. Um, in the early church there in Jerusalem, there was this disciple called Stephen who served tables for the older, uh, you know, for the older women when food was being distributed, actually for the, for the, the people when food was being distributed. And um, yet the Bible declares that Stephen was a man full of faith and of power and did great wonders and miracles among the people, amen. So here it is that we have a man who is performing amazing miracles and he, is, he was not an apostle or pastor. He was not a prophet, an evangelist or teacher. So how was it that he did that? It was through the spirit of grace and therefore the power of God grace, or again, another way of saying it through God's anointing on his life. He did just what Jesus did in meeting the needs of the people that he served through the anointing. The same anointing is available to every believer. It is yours, it is mine. And Jesus commanded us to go through the whole world and to preach the gospel to all people. So believers would be given the power to perform those miracles if we are expected to do that. Jesus even goes ahead and says in the Great Commission found in Mark chapter 16, if you read from verse 15 through 18, it tells us that you will place your hands on the sick and these would recover. In other words, they would get well. Praise God. It, would, it was not the disciples doing it in their own strength. It would be the anointing upon their lives. Their faith joined with the anointing upon their lives. So Jesus did not say that just apostles will be given th this power, this anointing, this grace to perform miracles. 
You know, in John chapter one in verse 12, we are told that as many as receive him. Notice that as many as received him, to them give he the power to become the sons and daughters of God. Amen. As many as received him. And so in general, we have no problem believing this. We believe, we accept Jesus, and we know that we have become a son or a daughter of God. But the same Bible tells us that believers, not just the apostles, will be given the power, the anointing to perform miracles. We just cited Mark chapter 16 there and what Jesus himself says. And how in John 14, he says, the works that I do, greater works will you do. You go and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover in Mark 16. So the same anointing to perform miracles are given to believers so that we can walk just as Jesus walked. And that in his power, we can rule over sickness and disease and any other adversity that, that life may bring against those that God loves and those that we love. Amen. Praise God. But the church seems to have a problem to capture this part of who we are in Christ. We believe part of it that tells us we've become sons of God if we accept Jesus. But the rest of it in operating in that anointing to walk as Jesus did there is a problem. And, you know, the more we study scripture, the more we allow God to reveal himself to us. Hallelujah. The more we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us, the more we will come to a place to know that indeed, this is who we are. This is what we are called to do, to bear his image. Hallelujah. And for example, let, I would like to look at um, quickly another man, um, Simon Peter. We all know Simon Peter, amen? Impetuous Peter, uh, who, you know, was a man of great courage in a sense. And, you know, but whose impulsiveness sometimes affected his judgment. Um, you know, for example, the night that they came to arrest Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, who was the first person, the, the only person actually who came against the soldiers trying to defend Jesus? It was Peter. He wasn't afraid to try to take on a mob of soldiers uh, and even pulled out a sword and, uh, you know, and you know, he, he cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. That was Peter for you. But yet, a few hours later, during Jesus's trial, this man who seemed to be fearless became so fearful that he denied Jesus three times. Amen. And at one point, uh, the third time, he even threw in uh, some curses and swear words so that, you know, he would sound more convincing so that he would not be arrested also. Amen. So we can see that Peter was just a man. 
like you and I, a regular person. Amen. And so that courage, that human courage that he had displayed there in coming against the soldiers was definitely not enough because very shortly thereafter, we saw what happened. But when we start thinking about the anointing that came upon him, about 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, Peter went out and preached a sermon to the crowd there that brought 3,000 souls into the kingdom. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus had told them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, before going up to heaven, he looked at his disciples and said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Hallelujah. So 10 days later, that, that Jesus had spoken that to them, that promise was fulfilled at Pentecost. So the question is, what happened to change Peter's life? Well, the answer is the anointing. The anointing happened. It transferred, I mean, it's transformed Simon to an, from an unstable reed, which is the meaning of his name, Simon. It's, it's something that is pliable, that goes back and forth, like a reed, amen. He was transferred from Simon to Peter, the living stone, a man who preached the boldest and most powerful sermon in history. And 3,000 souls are in heaven today because of it. Amen. The power of the anointing took away Peter's instability. It took away his fear of men. It firmly anchored his faith and thoroughly grounded his love for Christ. Hallelujah. And we see that when he spoke that uh, message there, when that, that sermon in immediately after he was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, for lack of time, we won't, have, we won't be able to read all these passages. But if you go back and read verses 22 through 26, you see that the words spoken by Peter are not words trying to impress people because he's afraid of the, what they are going to think of him. No, he is a man under the anointing, not afraid to stand up, not afraid to speak out. He's not afraid of what men can do to him. His only concern is to bear faithful witness to his Lord. Amen. And we too need that, that anointing that rested on Peter to rest on us so that our tongue will be loosed as his was, so that we will stand up and boldly bear witness in both word and action, just as he did. Hallelujah. You know, many of us today do not speak boldly because we are afraid of offending people or turning them away. But you see, lost people need to be confronted with the truth in a straightforward but uh, compassionate manner. 
and Peter certainly did not pamper his, listening, his listeners. He told them what they needed to hear and his words had a powerful effect. Amen. Hallelujah. When Peter spoke um, from verse, uh, again, Acts chapter 2, verses 37 uh, through 41, those words are so powerful that actually verse 37 says that when the people heard what he said, it says they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Amen. Hallelujah. Notice that the listeners, Peter's listeners were cut to the heart under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. It means that they were slashed to the very center of their souls. You know, and the, the words that he spoke moved them to repent of their sins and to put their trust in Christ. And I would say that part of the problem with much of the church today is that we have drifted far away from preaching a gospel that makes people conform to it. You know, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 5 said that these people who do not do preach the true gospel, that they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And therefore, we are to turn away from such. Hallelujah. But instead, what we find in much of the, the body of Christ is that, you know, the gospel itself is being molded and conform to something that, you know, will appease the minds and hearts of wicked men. Instead of giving them the true word, we change the message not to offend anyone. We desperately need the anointing that Peter had on his life to bring us back, the church of Jesus Christ, back to the heart of the true gospel. Because it is that anointing that will bring lost people face to face with a God who can, they can no longer ignore and who they must make a decision about. Amen. In closing today's message, let me reiterate that it's not about what we have done, but what Jesus has done, amen, for us. His work of redemption on the cross is a finished work. And the power of the anointing is found not in what we do in on of our own selves, but in trusting him, in surrendering to him, in holy living, being confident that Christ has already done all the work for us.
it is his grace in us that will confirm the mandate that he has given us and will reveal the power of this anointing that resides in us. All that we have to do is to step into him and invite him to step into us. Hallelujah. And, you know, the apostle Paul said this. He said, for me to live and to die is gain. Hallelujah. He clearly understood that the power in him was not of him, but of God. All he needed to do was to yield. And he writes to us in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16, that we are the temple of the living God, that God says that he will dwell in us and walk in us and he will be our God, hallelujah, and we will be his people. This means that we must allow Christ to live his life through us. It is a yielded life, a life of surrender, and also a life free from the fear of men, free from the fear of not you know, having what it takes to please God and earn his favor. As his beloved and his anointed children by faith, we already have his favor. We already have his anointing in us. Amen. If we have received Christ, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are ready to take on the work that he has for us because he has created us for such time. Amen. We have been anointed for such a time. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 10 says, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should, should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Hallelujah. Praise God. God has ordained that we would perform these wonderful works. And he, he brought, us, brought us up in this time to perform those works. And if we are, to bear the image of Christ. Let's again remember that Jesus's mission on earth was to preach the good news, to heal the brokenhearted, to free those who are in, in spiritual bondage, to comfort those who are mourning and to replace their sorrow with joy. Hallelujah. And as his followers, and if I can say even as his friends, amen? Jesus says, I call you friends, praise, praise God. So as his friends and followers, we too have the same mission. And though the enemy specializes in oppressing people, but the anointing of God in us is greater and it delivers and it empowers us to go and set the captives free. And this will be the focus of our next lesson, how the captives of the devil can truly be set free today 
by those who are anointed. Today, we looked at what the power of the anointing can change one to do that work. Next week, we will move further into how the, the captives of the devil can truly be set free by those who are anointed by God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you again for gathering us together and teaching us from the mirror of your word about who we are in you. For teaching us about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. For filling us with the knowledge of your will concerning us. Concerning the mission to which you've called us. So that we can live a life that is worthy of you. Pleasing to you and fruitful in every good work. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us your anointing to walk like Jesus in holiness, in wisdom, in understanding, in creativity, and in power. And do the works that Jesus did. Father, we thank you for always leading us, O oh Lord, in triumph in Christ and manifesting through us the sweet aroma of your knowledge in every place. To you, O oh Lord, be glory, be honor, be praise for all that you have done, all that you continue to do, even now as you teach us and what you are yet to do so that your name can be glorified in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now unto him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all that we dare to ask or think according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray that this study has been a blessing to you. I invite you to join us again next Wednesday at the same time. God bless you and have a good night.